What a blessing. Thank you, ladies. Luke 22 in your Bibles. And I want you to look again at an amazing text here in this chapter. We're in the midst of so much sorrow, so much betrayal and pathos and dread. Our Lord Jesus attack, addresses his attackers with a certain necessary, irreplaceable revelation. Luke 22, verse 53 says, When, Jesus says, when I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. In other words, Jesus says, you've had all kinds of opportunity. A lot of opportunity to rest and or to kill me every day, he says. Every day I've been publicly preaching in this very temple. I'm not hiding. I'm not guilty of anything. Certainly not afraid. You have had ample opportunity to reach out your hand and take my life. In fact, look at verse 52 before this. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and the captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. By the way, did you ever think about that? The enemies of Christ didn't need a conspiracy. They didn't need a betrayal, you know, some sort of a nighttime ambush. There was never a need for this big SWAT team and this brigade of armed men to come at night against the Lord Jesus and bring along this, this bribed apostle. No, no, no. This is typical histrionics and overkill and thuggery that the people of power and darkness are always known for. Jesus was never in hiding. He was never a material threat to these people, and he was never afraid of them, which is precisely why he gives to these gangsters this incredible truth. Verse 53 again, when I was with you, when I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. But, however, this is your hour and the power of darkness. Can I ask you a question? Do you know what Jesus meant by that? Do you know what he meant by this declaration? Or better yet, do you know what this truth means for all the people of God and as well as the enemies of Christ? This is your hour, Jesus said, and the power of darkness. What that means, beloved, is what I want us to consider very carefully this morning. I want to speak on the subject, the devil's Hour. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, please help us. This is your word. This was your Son and our Savior. In the darkest hour of humanity at this moment. And we need your word. We need your truth. This is what changes us and molds us. And I pray we will hear it and heed it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Exactly one month from today, Sunday, November the 5th, we're all going to walk out of church on Sunday night and notice how dark it is. Not only have the days been gradually getting shorter because of the Earth's axis, but with daylight savings time on November the 5th, it's really going to get dark early. So that there can be, obviously there can be, in the space of one hour, as you turn your clock back, there can be a huge difference in one hour between light and darkness. In today's text, we find the Lord Jesus, the light of the world, telling a group of people that this is it. He's telling them that this, right then and there, was their hour 
of victory, their hour of darkness and of power. Which, of course, beloved, is an intended reminder of some very crucial truths and lessons for the people of God. Specifically, I want you to notice four lessons in the text. And the first one, number one, is a lesson about reality. What does the last line of verse 53 say? This is your hour and the power of darkness. In other words, why does he say the power of darkness? It's because the Lord Jesus is affirming, and we must hear this, we must be reminded of this often, that darkness is real, that its power is, in fact, real. Over the book of Colossians, Paul addressed a a growing heresy there in that town, that bustling city, and he said in chapter 1 and verse 12, quote, giving thanks unto the Father who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Now, wait a minute, the power of darkness? Why not just say that Christ has delivered us from darkness? Isn't that enough? No, it's not enough. Because the word power is a reminder that darkness in this world is real. It is effectual. It is influential. It is dangerous. It is harmful. It is consequential. It's not just darkness. It's the power of that darkness. Our Lord isn't speaking here with poetry. The Holy Spirit in Colossians isn't using some sort of esoterical, unsubstantial language here. He is speaking of that of which he knows is real and reality. And beloved, the reason why that's so important today is that a lot of preachers in this world and almost all the policymakers in this world The educators and the financiers and the intelligentsia, in fact, almost all media and all politicians, they don't really believe in evil. You understand that, right? They're trying to program and teach your children that there's no real such thing as evil. Now, of course, they don't believe in the devil. To them, that's silly. But they go even farther than that and deny that it is impossible for any kind of spiritual darkness to have real power. And that's why our leaders today cannot grapple with the acts of evil that are going on in our cities right now. They don't understand. They don't know how to address groups like MS-13, the child traffickers, Hamas, Boko Haram, Al-Qaeda. You name the group that's full of darkness and evil. They don't truly understand it. For them, it's not the power of darkness. It's just, you know, It's an impoverished population. It's climate change. It's the imperial West's fault. It's lack of opportunity or lack of jobs or education. It's anything and everything except for darkness and evil. But unfortunately for these same people who are now being victimized by their own policies, the facts never fit their narrative. I still remember very well The 9-11 hijackers and how our academics tried to tell us right away. Before they knew anything, they tried to say that these men were acting out of a lack of upward mobility. They were stuck in their poverty in these third world countries and they were acting out of their frustration and their anger for being oppressed all of their lives. And then, unfortunately, the truth came out. That all of the hijackers were people of means. That most of them were engineers and highly educated. Osama bin Laden himself grew up in a billionaire's home. He was extremely privileged. 
The same goes for the Columbine, the Sandy Hook killers, all upper middle class progressive families with plenty of, of opportunity. That Dallas shooter you may remember years ago, he wasn't oppressed, he wasn't poor, and neither was the white supremacist in Charleston in 2015. The Orlando shooter. That man had more privilege and opportunity than 99.9% .9 of the entire population of Earth. You look anywhere in history, folks. Napoleon, the Nazis, Imperial Japan, these people were educated and refined and artistic and scientific. I was reading just the other day about the Fort Hood assassin. You may remember the San Bernardino killers. They weren't poor. They, beloved, they were not oppressed people. One was a major in the military and a psychiatrist. The others are both university graduates and environmental health specialists. The killer this past March up in Nashville shot six people in a Christian school, nine-year-old children. She was a graphic artist who had fulfilled her life's dream. All kinds of opportunities. So understand, beloved, that part of it is a lie. Young people understand it's a lie. That it has always been a lie. The acts of evil are not caused by evil. They are. They are caused by darkness. And darkness is real. It is powerful. It's determinative. And it is persuasive. And I'm telling you, whether it's Nazis or ISIS, Stalin or Mao, whether it's Hamas or O9A or the 764, whether it's a skinhead or a Black Panther or a bad cop or a cop killer, whether it's Jim Jones or David Koresh or Islamists in Orlando or Gosnell in Philadelphia, there's one thing they all have in common. The one thing that is the same about all of them is the same power of darkness. Jesus said in John 8, Ye are of your father the devil, and he was a murderer from the beginning. Now, wait a minute. You say, Pastor, he was talking to the religious people, the elite, not murderers. Okay, but they killed him, didn't they? Ye are of your father the devil. He was the murderer from the beginning. You see, when Jesus said your father, the murderer from the beginning, to the Pharisees, he was saying different group, same darkness. It's real. It's powerful. Shouldn't dabble with it. Which brings us to the second thing. There's a lesson, number one, of reality. Number two, I'll, I want you to notice there's a lesson of restraint. Go back to verse 53, would you? When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Now, beloved, you do realize, you do see what Jesus is saying, right? Know this, Jesus is testifying to the fact that they didn't reach out their hands and take his life before this because they couldn't. Now, did they want to? Of course they did. Did they plan to earlier? Oh, many times. Did they have the means to do it? Always. So what happened? God restrained them because it wasn't their hour. You know what that means? That means that no matter how real and, and powerful the power of darkness is, it's not powerful enough to ever supplant the will of God. Everybody's familiar with Psalm 37. 
It says, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. They shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. I think everybody knows those verses. But do you know what else it says in Psalm 37? Look on your screen. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. That means they are angry. They're angry against the righteous. If they could, they could deprogram 75 million of you in America. Verse 13, though, the Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. See, the Lord knows that he has a time, he has a day. He has a day of power, and he has a day when the power is taken away. The power of darkness is real, but it is also limited. It is restrained by the infinitely greater power of Christ and his word. And we must know that today. Number one, a lesson of reality. Number two, there's a lesson of restraint. The third thing I want you to notice is a lesson of resurrection. The end of this chapter, you'll see something in verse 69. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of of God. You want to talk about power, Jesus says. After all of this, after your hour, hereafter you're going to see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the power of God. I was thinking all week about these evil power brokers in this their hour of darkness of our text. And I was thinking about them, you know, all their stretching forth of their hands against Jesus and all of their conspiring and their devising and conniving and bribing. You know, it's no surprise that the whole thing began with Satan. If you look at the beginning of the chapter, and I hope you do, chapter 22, verse 2, we read these words, And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then, then entered Satan into Judas, named Iscariot. Satan and Judas... You see, folks, there is no question, beloved, this is an hour of great darkness and betrayal and murder and conspiracy, which is why you have that last word in verse 15. You'll notice Jesus says he must what? The word is suffer. Now think about this for a minute. Our Lord Jesus Christ knew that this was the hour, not only of darkness, not only of Satan and betrayal and murder, but this was the beginning of his own great personal, here's the word, suffering. Our Lord knew that he had now come to the shadow of that cross. The crucifixion, the scourging, the public shame, the buffeting, all of this encapsulated in that terrible word at the end of verse 15, the word suffer. And of course, the following verse, you'll notice, he speaks about separation. He talks about the fact that in verse 16, I'm going to leave you. Now he's leaving them. Oh, the sorrow in every way. This could be described as the darkest night of our Lord's life, perhaps arguably the darkest night in all of history or eternity up until this moment. Notice verse 44. And Jesus being in agony, Jesus being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was at great drops of blood. You can imagine how Satan at this moment, follow this, imagine how Satan and the demons were full of glee on this night. Because, as Jesus said, this was their hour. 
This was their time, the power of darkness. But again, it's an hour. It's for a brief time. So that when Jesus declares in verse 69 that after this hour, after this, the Son of Man will be seated in the right hand of the power of God. You know what he's saying to them and the disciples who are hearing. Let me paraphrase it. Yes, Satan, this is your hour. But Sunday's coming. Caiaphas, chief priests, Judas, Satan and demons, the captains of the temple, this is your hour. Soak it up. Enjoy it while you can because Sunday's coming. Pastor Blaylock, the devil's having a field day. Satan's month is even here. And every story in the news, it seems, is darker than the last one. Yep. Three weeks after, three weeks ago after our Wednesday night Bible study, one of the men came into me. He said, Pastor, you mentioned the New York Times and you said that the story of Isaac and Ishmael and Satan's long war against God, it goes on in the news, on at this very moment, this very night, it's in the, it's in the news. He said, but did you see where Saudi's crown prince wants to normalize relations with Israel. Isn't that a positive sign in the news? And I said to him, I said, well, why do you think it needs to be normalized? And I said, you just keep watching the news. Mohammed bin Salman's news on the bottom of the fold that's supposedly positive will be replaced by bloodshed on the top of the fold before you know it. That was three weeks ago. Whoa, pastor. What are the odds? A hundred percent. I'm not a prophet. I just read the Bible. This, there is an hour of darkness, but beloved, Sunday's coming. You see, folks, even though our Lord is about to lose everything in this world, what I mean is he's going to lose his freedom. He will be bound with his hands behind his back. He's going to lose his ministry. He's going to lose his fellowship. He's going to be alone, completely alone. He's going to lose his very life's blood. Even though this is an hour of great loss, you understand this, he never lost sight of the truth that he wasn't going to lose the kingdom. You see the word until in verse 16 and 18, until and until. Do you realize that every trial and every heartache in this world, whatever it is, every attack, it's always until. In other words, folks, Sunday is coming. It may have been the devil's hour, the hour of darkness, but it's God's eternity, and God is light. When you go on and keep reading throughout the Gospel of Luke, and you read from today's text and further, you'll see that it just gets darker and darker and darker. It gets more and more evil. There's betrayal and weeping and sorrow and suffering. The entire next chapter, by the way, is the devil's hour. But do you know how the Gospel of Luke ends? The very last verse says this. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. The last word of this gospel is the word, amen. We said, number one, there is the reality. Number two, there's the restraint. So it's so out of control. It's not out of God's control. 
Number three, there's the resurrection. Number four, I want you to notice there's a lesson of resolve. Now, please don't miss this. Jesus fulfilled his mission. Our Lord Jesus got through the hour of darkness. Only by his grace, so did the disciples. There is a lesson of resolve. If this was Satan's hour, and it's his hour now in so many ways, And if this is the power of darkness, what do you suppose our Lord is going to do during this time? In other words, what's his attitude? What's his demeanor? Part of it, I want you to notice, is in a couple of verses. Look at verse 17. And Jesus took the cup. This is the cup of his blood, by the way. And Jesus took the cup and gave thanks. Verse 19, and Jesus took the bread. And gave thanks. Now wait a minute. This is the hour of evil. This is the power of darkness that's about to rain down on our Lord Jesus. And yet, what's he doing? The Bible says he's giving thanks. And and for what exactly? What is Jesus thanking God for, praising God for? Don't forget, this is a Passover meal. That text that I quoted earlier from Colossians about the power of darkness, here's what it says. Giving thanks unto the Father who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Giving thanks, power of darkness. Do you realize that the power of gratitude truly is greater than the power of darkness. The Bible says that Jesus gave thanks. And what exactly was it that our Lord in that moment was being grateful for? Knowing what he's about to face, he's thanking God? For what? You know, we always focus on the symbols of the bread and the juice because it's communion time when we read this text, and we must do that. But we must never forget, beloved, must not forget, is that these were real blessings. That these were real material blessings and staples of life. The fruit of the vine, where these grapes ripen in the sun are full of flavor and goodness, it's basically a little miracle. Bread that comes from the grain that is harvested and crushed and baked in an oven is a wonderful gift. Back in chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus fed the multitude, the Bible says that he takes the loaves and the fishes and, quote, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, he blessed them. He gave thanks. But pastor, those were better days back then. Miracles and multitudes. And bread really means something. You can appreciate it, okay? What Jesus is telling us here, in the midst of the hour of darkness, that these blessings always mean something. He's telling us that God is always good. That no matter how dark the hour, a blessing from God is just as much a blessing from God when it's given on the brightest day. And there is no greater blessing than to know that even in the hours of darkness, as Paul says in Colossians, you have been delivered from its power. You can always be grateful that your name is written in heaven no matter what the hour. And that, yes, beloved, again, Sunday's coming. You know, the Greek word for for thanks in those two verses is eucharisto. You're familiar with charis, C-H-R-I-S. Charis is the word for grace. 
And its root word, as you probably know, kara, is translated always in the New Testament as joy. In other words, at a terrible hour in our Lord's life, Jesus saw his present provision, simple as they are, as blessings that God gave by his grace and are worthy of rejoicing over, and so should we. When Matthew Henry, the Bible commentator, born in 1662, he was robbed one day while riding on horseback. And after he was robbed and mugged up a little bit, he went home and he wrote in his journal these words, I am thankful. Let me be thankful first because I have never been robbed before. Second, because although they took my money, it was not much. Third, although, or fourth, third, because it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing. Beloved, never let Satan rob you of all of the reasons you actually have for being grateful. All of our present possessions, including eternal life, that God has given us richly to enjoy. It doesn't matter the hour. Don't take them for granted. Don't negate them because times are tough. Don't minimize them ever because troubles might abound. In fact, we should do the exact opposite. When it's dark and really dark and God's grace comes to us, in those moments, see them for the glory and the beauty and the light that they truly are. When our boys were little, Louise and I took them to Mammoth Cave in southern Kentucky. And of course, many of you in this room have done it, and if you've done it in those old days, they used to turn off all of the lights so that you would experience complete, the visceral reaction of absolute darkness. It's frightening. It's not something you just see, it's something you feel. And for those moments in there, you see nothing is totally unsettling. And then the guide, he said himself, I can't do it for very long. It's just going to be for a few seconds. Because weird things happen to people. And you know what the guy did? He took as a remedy to all the anxiety that was growing in our group. And he turned on a little pin light. A tiny little pin light that he had in his pocket. And that little light in such great darkness was a huge, huge blessing. And so it is when in the midst of the hour of darkness, we do as our Lord and we lift our eyes up and we give thanks. We recognize how good God is. And we receive his blessings. And as the Bible teaches, we have joy because of those blessings. This is the resolve that Jesus had. This is the resolve that we need. You may have noticed that they've torn down the old Jupiter Pavilion the rehab, you know, the rehab and hospice over there that used to be near the hospital. How many hours upon hours upon hours I've spent in that place for weeks with Louise, but also with so many of our people, and some of you practically live there at times. And I remember when they started demolishing that thing, I wondered about the aviary there and all those little birds. Brother John, you remember those little birds? And they were therapy birds. And it was amazing, this little cage, that the glass enclosure they were in, little trees, and it was really beautiful. I remember one night I was there, and I decided to check them out, and as I looked at them, I thought, I wonder if they're lonely. The little same six zebra finches that I've always seen there, month after month, year after year. So 
So I decided to spice up their mundane existence a little. And I took my iPhone and I Googled happy singing finches. And I hit videos and there were dozens of them. Loud singing finches. And I chose one of the videos and I enlarged it on my phone and I hit play and I put it up on the glass. And it was loud and their reaction was instant. They were freaked out. (laughs) They all went as far back as they could in terror. Three of them messed on themselves. I traumatized them. The therapy birds needed therapy. Imagine if I used a video of a cat or a falcon. That was the next night. No, I'm just kidding. I really felt bad. And I sat there and I thought, you know, I wonder. People in their religion, Islam, the Greeks and the gods that Paul wrote to in Colossians, that's how they perceive their gods or their God. They're just up there in Mount Olympus, you know, being capricious and toying with humans for no really great purpose other than their own self-pleasure. They make mistakes, they serve themselves, they change their plans arbitrarily. Not terribly different, again, from the moon god. It's a depressing fantasy and fable. But when I read our text, I'm reminded of what Peter said in his epistle, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when it made known unto you the power and the coming of Christ. And then he said this, as a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. In other words, the hour of darkness, it's real. It's restrained. But more importantly, Sunday's coming. And the day star. And that light of glory that is eternal, God says it's already shining in your hearts if you're saved. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if you really want to shine in darkness, and it only takes a little pin light as dark as this world is, if you really want to defeat the devil, resolve to be grateful because the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more into the coming day. Past of this hour is dark. It is. But God is good all the time. And Sunday's coming. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for a moment. It should never come as a surprise to the people of God that people of darkness do the deeds of darkness in a dark hour. It should never come as a shock to you. You know, when Jesus looked at these enemies and he said, look, why didn't you try to get me before? He was telling them why. You couldn't. But now that it's your hour, you can. But you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power of God. I don't know what your need is this morning. I do know this. I know that Christians have a choice to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's your choice. How could you do anything other than that? How could you ever choose to dabble in darkness, knowing that it's where it's headed and what it does? 
And maybe you're here this morning and you're a Christian you haven't been walking in the light as he is in the light. Today's a day for you to get right with God as a child of God. Make a decision, just get right with God. Recognize that the power of darkness is real, that darkness is real. It's not a game. That's why God calls us soldiers. It's a war. It may be that you're here today and you're just discouraged. I mean, you've been walking in the light, but you're just discouraged. You see this on the news and that on the news and you look at the upcoming election for the President of the United States and it's just discouraging. Your boss is unjust. There's no justice as you look around. There was no justice on this hour, none whatsoever. But Jesus gave thanks. To you, I would say the same. Be grateful, be thankful, be joyful for all that God gives you during this hour and recognize that this hour is limited. The Sunday's coming. And then it may be for some in this room and some listening by live stream perhaps, you're not even a child of God. You're not a child of the light. Jesus said, ye are of your father the devil. You're either born and your father is the devil or born again and you're now a child of God. And if you're here today and you're not born again, you're not a child of God today, trust in Jesus as Savior. Pastor, I'm here today and I'm a Christian, but I needed this message as a child of God and God has spoken to my heart about something. As a believer, would you pray for me? Who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building and God sees you and I raise mine and amen and amen. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Make that choice. Make it every day. Pastor Blalock, I'm here today, and I'm not sure that I'm, a, that I'm saved, that I'm a Christian. But I want to be, and I need to be sure. I will not come and embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. If you're not sure that you're saved today, that your name is written in heaven, could we pray for you? With no one looking, who would raise your hand to that end? Pastor, pray for me, please, to that end. Hold it up there high enough where I can see you. God, God bless you, ma'am. I see your hand. Amen. Dear lady, anyone else on my left? A young fellow? We're going to pray in a moment and have a time of invitation. And again, as always, if God has spoken to your heart, obey his voice. Brother Terry will lead us in a hymn. And as we sing, Brother Andy's here at the front. If it's a public decision like joining the church or baptism, I encourage you to come. If it's just kneeling at the altar, but mostly if it's for salvation, please come forward. Brother Andy will take the Bible and show you how to be certain that your name is in heaven. Father, thank you that our Lord looked at his enemies and adversaries and at satanic power and recognized and told them that it was their hour, that this was their time, but that Sunday was coming. Thank you that we are reminded, Father, that we're not fighting any longer for victory, but from victory, that we'll be faithful to you. For these who have asked for prayer, so many people will draw them to you and to your word. May this church be what the name suggests, a beacon, a light. Or a bunch of people who are the light of the earth, the light of the world, as Jesus said, come and then leave this place and pierce the darkness with the light. May we be grateful to you, full of rejoicing, thankful for who you are and what you've done, and then faithful to the very end. Bless this invitation time to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.